listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Two of the greatest enemies of the Christian's faith are fear and frustration. Fear and frustration. I see it. I see it on a daily basis. Fear and frustration. And the enemy knows. He knows that without faith, it's impossible for you to to please God. You can't please God without faith. You must have faith. And, and, And the enemy wants to rip faith out of your life. He does not want you to walk by faith. He wants you. To live in fear and frustration. And, and last week we specifically looked at fear. And I told you that when mere fan- manifests in our lives, it is really us questioning either God's ability or even worse than that, sometimes I think we're questioning the character of God. We're questioning the character of God. And that's what fear will do to you. And today I want us to turn our attention to frustrations. To frustrations and, and what that looks like. Because frustration manifests when expectations are not met. When our expectations are not met, that's when fear will tend to, or, or that's when faith will, will begin to be eliminated from our lives. When, when, when uh, frustrations uh, um, uh, begin to manifest in our life, it's because we, we had hoped that something was going to happen, but it didn't happen that way. It's this unmet expectation, and, and it, it's troubling to us. And so it just, it causes us to, to not walk by faith. You know what this is like when those unmet expectations happen any of you in the room any of you especially you men in the room you ever just in an effort to try and save some money you tried to fix the car yourself just to save a little bit of money and you got into it and it's so frustrating right because one problem leads to the next problem leads to the next problem and before long you're like well I should have just took it to the shop now it's in pieces in your driveway I've been there I know that I mean I tried to change the catalytic converter on the driveway in my, in, 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 in my house, and, uh, and it turned into a mess. It was, you don't do that on a Jeep. It's just not without a lift. It's not fun. Robbie, don't laugh at me, you jerk. <laughs> it's frustration. When you thought by now that you would have a husband, but all the good guys are taken. And the ones that you are interested in, they just treat you like a little sister. They walk by and pat you on the head. It's kind of like your little puppy dog that follows them around. And you're like, I'm a grown woman. I don't, know, I don't know what's going on. And you're like in this permanent friend zone. Or she won't even look at you. She won't give you the time of day. It's frustrating, right? When you thought that marriage would be a honeymoon bliss, but it turns out to be more of a full moon nightmare is what it is. I mean, you thought, man, this is going to be great being married. All of a sudden, the moon comes out and she turns into a werewolf. And you're like, whoa, what happened? When you envisioned a future at the company that you work for but now you feel like it's more of a dead end it's frustrating when you thought that you were a picture of health but out of nowhere you get this bad prognosis and it's not it's not good it's frustrating you know what it feels like when you you thought that your kids were going to be like a b honor roll i mean especially when they were little they were just so smart you like tell him your name and you'd be like johnny and he's so smart He's going to be a rocket scientist or something. I mean, what color is that? Green? He's brilliant, right? And you just have these high expectations for your kids. Take it from one that raised two. They're not as smart as you think they are when they're little. They're not. They're just morons. They just are. They're morons. You were hoping they'd be on the AB honor roll. Now you just pray and they pass. It's all right. You know what it feels like when you thought you could trust that friend, 
but they betrayed you. It's frustrating, right? Or how about that person that you gave great advice to? Like life-changing advice. You told them exactly, in detail, what they need to do with their life. If they would listen to you, all their problems would go away. And You gave them great advice and they didn't listen. It's frustrating. It's frustrating when you tell people good advice and they don't follow it. And Probably one of the most frustrating things for me in life is, you know, when you've watched the documentary and, and you thought through this whole series that they were going to catch the killer and you get to the end and now it's just left as an unsolved murder and you're like, I just wasted eight hours of my life watching that documentary and it's frustrating, right? Why? Why is it frustrating? It's because you had expectations that went unmet and in some cases it went the complete opposite direction of the expectation. And when that happens, it's, it's like really frustrating. It, it's, it's just frustration at its highest. In our text today, in, in Numbers chapter 20 is where I'm going to be reading from. In our text, it, it takes us to Moses and the Israelites after they had been in the wilderness for, for nearly 40 years. They've, they've been wandering in the wilderness for, for almost 40 years now. And I, I got to thinking about this because I can't imagine being stuck with people for 40 years. I mean, I love you guys and everything, but there's only one person on this planet that I want to be stuck with for 40 years. That's it. And, and she's learned to tolerate me, and I've learned to tolerate her. Like on our worst days, we, we, we know how to deal with each other. There's no way I'm starting over with that. There's no possible. There's, after 26 years, we've got a good thing going. And she's the only person I want to spend 40-plus years with. I promise you all. But the rest of you all, <laughs> even when it comes to kids, you know, there's a reason why kids are supposed to grow up and move out. After about 18, 20 some odd years, they're not as cute as they once were, Kendall. <laughs> they're just not near as cute. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam, that's Moses' sister, Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. I'm going to stop just for a moment. I love it when God does this. I just saw something here I've never seen. Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel. I want you to hold on to that phrase right there. Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel. He goes on to say in verse 13, this place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing. Because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. Needless to say, Moses is very frustrated with the people of Israel, with the Hebrews, the Israelites. He, he is frustrated with them because God has, has proven himself faithful time and time and time again. They watched as, as Pharaoh was dealt with harshly and the plagues were, were sent by God upon Egypt so that so Pharaoh could be convinced that he needed to let God's people go. They were there when they were trapped between the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh's army pressing in and Moses takes that same staff, the staff of God, and he raises it up and they, the seas part and they walk across on dry ground these people have witnessed as, as they were hungry and God rained down bread from heaven, manna from heaven upon them so that they could pick it up and eat it. And, and when they got their fill of manna, God sent quail to them so that they could have some meat to eat. They've watched the hand of God, the miraculous hand of God. They've watched it time and time again. We know in Exodus chapter 15, right after they left Egypt, so 40 years earlier, we know that Right after they crossed the Red Sea, they arrived at this, this place called Marah, and, and they could not drink the water in Marah because it was so bitter. It was so bitter tasting. And, and the Israelites, they, they did what they did best. They, they grumbled and they complained. And God told Moses, he said, I want you to take this, this log, this big stick, and he said, I want you to throw it into the waters here at Marah. And he said, when you throw them into the waters, it, the water's going to become sweet. And sure enough, he throws the the, the log into the water and the waters at Marah become sweet and they begin to drink. It was, it was satisfying to them. It was life-saving to them because they needed water to survive. Then in Ex Exodus chapter 17, they find themselves at a new, new location, but they're facing the same old problem. Now they find themselves in a place called Rephidim and, and they're thirsty, but they're, they're still no, there's no water there for them. In Exodus chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, we read a little bit of these events. Again, 40 years earlier. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst. How many of you know you'll do crazy things when you are tormented by thirst? When you're dehydrated, you'll act a fool. You know that, right? People don't, they don't think right. They don't make good decisions. You need to stay hydrated. Look at somebody and say, stay hydrated. And the next time your husband starts making like dumb decisions, just look at him and say, are you dehydrated? Because people, people will do dumb things. And, and because they were tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? And you see, at, at Rephidim, God told Moses to, to strike the rock in front of the elders and, and in front of the people. That was the instructions that he gave 
Moses that day. He said, I want you to take this staff. And he says, when I tell you to, I want you to strike that rock. And when Moses struck the rock, then, then water, fresh water began to flow out of that rock. It gushed out. And all the people and their livestock and their children, they were all drinking this life-sustaining water. I, I just... Uh, taught our, our, our ministry development program, the, the ones that are called to ministry, and I've been leading them for the past few months, and I, I just taught them recently on, on water and how it sustains life and how it's necessary for us. But how many of you know that we need living water also in order to be sustained spiritually? We've got to have the living water flowing into our lives. We've got to partake of living water if we are going to, 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 be, uh, to, to live spiritually but this instance, it was, it was a physical water that they needed. In order for, them, for, for their lives to be sustained, they needed to partake of, of fresh water. Now nearly 40 years later, our text tells us that they are once again thirsty. And, and guess what? They're grumbling and complaining again because that's what they do. And, and they were saying things like this. They were saying, there's no grain. In this land that you brought us to, there's no grain. There's no figs. There's no grapes, and there's no pomegranates. You know you're thirsty when you're complaining because there's no pomegranates. Like, who complains about no pomegranates? Who wants? No, nobody ever wakes up one day and they're like, man, I'm really craving pomegranates today. I really hope I can get some pomegranates. I mean, that's, you just don't. But probably the, the big part, the most important part of this whole thing is, is that they complain and they said, and there's no water for us to drink because they know they need water to survive. There's no water for us to drink. It's 40 years later, and, and many of the adults in, in the Exodus generation, the ones that were, were adults when, when Moses first led them out of Egypt, first led them out of bondage, out of captivity, most of them have died off, and the ones that are still alive, they're, they're just really old. And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Or in this case, the pomegranate doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Think about it. You will complain most of your childhood, adolescence, teen years, early adulthood. You know you don't want to be your mom or your dad. But the older you get, the more you start recognizing that you are your mom and your dad. I mean, unless you intentionally try not to become them, you're going to become them. I mean, it's just, I, I see it every day. I see my mom and I see my dad and I don't need any amens from you. I see it in me sometimes. I do. The older you get, you just start recognizing these things because it just becomes second nature. It's just who we are. We become like the people that raise us. So don't be shocked when Junior turns out to act just like you. Church, I say it annually, and I think it's about time that I say it again. But what parents do in moderation, their children will do in excess. Think about it, Mom. Think about it, Dad. What parents do in moderation, our children will do in excess. That means we draw this line, and we're like, okay, I'm going to live my life right up to the edge of that line. I'm, I'm going to get right up to the edge because if I cross over that, it's sinful. And I, I, you know, at least my definition of sinful. And so I can, I can do this. 
but I'm going to live right up to that. And what we don't realize is that there's a generation that's following us that they are not going to just stop at the same line because what we do in moderation, they're going to do in excess and they will just jump right over that line. We've got to be careful. Think about it. Think about your habits. Think about your traits. Think about what you are presenting to your children because what you do in moderation, I promise you, they're going to do in excess. At Maribah, there was a new generation that had picked up the bad habits of their parents and their grandparents. They are grumbling, they are complaining, and it has left them frustrated, and in return, it has left Moses very frustrated. So, when it's time for the people to, to drink, when God says, I want you and Aaron to walk out there, and Moses, this time I don't want you to strike the rock, this time I want you to speak to the rock. But he is so frustrated with these people that he walks out there and he does what most of us do all the time. God says do this, but we walk in our frustration. And if we're not careful, we'll do exactly what he does. And he strikes the rock, not once, but twice. That's how you know the man's very frustrated. It's like, you sorry, Israelites. I mean, he hits it twice. Have you ever been there? Have you ever punched the wall? Have you ever been so frustrated you punched a wall? Or punched somebody? It's rough. Have you ever been so frustrated that you shouted obscenities? Have you ever been so frustrated that you just simply raised your voice? When Mandy and I first got married, like the first seven years of our marriage, it was rough, okay? The first... First two years, we're dealing with cancer, and then we had twins. Mandy and I did not have a honeymoon. It never happened. I mean, it was like we went on a honeymoon, but life just was like, wow. I mean, it was, it was crazy. First seven years, it was rough, guys. It was rough. And we would be in the middle of a heated discussion, if you will. And Mandy would look at me, and she would be like, you don't have to yell at me. And I was like, you think this is yelling? Woman, I'm just raising my voice. That's all I'm doing. I've got to raise my voice because how else am I going to get it through to you? I do not suggest you do that. I'll show you yelling. When we raise our voices, we're actually casting our frustration onto someone else is what we're doing. There's these unmet expectations, and what we're doing is we're just saying, I'm so frustrated, I want you to feel the hurt and pain of this too. And so we yell it out. We raise the voice. We... Whether you raise your voice or raise your hand, whatever that looks like, you're just trying to put it on someone else. Frustration is manifested in those moments. And sometimes it, it can be seen in your silent attitude as much as it can when you're yelling. You know, when you're ignoring the whole family. It's seen in the way that you avoid the people that you love the most. It's frustrating. Sometimes frustration can manifest in and spontaneous decisions that you don't want anyone else's help or input from. And so you, you make business decisions for your home simply out of spite because you're so frustrated. Or if you're in business with someone else, a business partner, you make a business decision just because you can and you don't care how it affects anybody else because you're just so frustrated. Frustration has so many faces. We could sit here all day long and talk about all the many faces of frustration some of you are, many of you are experiencing frustration right now. And in the middle of his frustration, 
Moses didn't listen to God and speak to the rock. No, Moses struck the rock. That's what he did. In the middle of his frustration, he struck the rock twice. He's so frustrated. I mean, think about it. Our text told us his sister, his sister just died. So he's dealing with the emotions of that. His brother Aaron, he's as good as on his deathbed. By the end of this chapter, he's dead. And let's face it, Moses is not as young as he once was when he first led them out of captivity and out of bondage. He's 40 years older than what he was then. And he was old when he took them out of bondage, out of Egypt. How many of you know the older you get, the less patience you have? Listen, I'm 46, about to be 47. Is that right? Okay, I'm about to be 40. How do you, how do you know my age? Who, who's like over here like, yes. I didn't ask you. I asked my wife. <laughs> I'm about to be 47 years old. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm seeing it in me. I don't have the patience I once had. I was a youth pastor for nine years. The church I was on staff at in Tampa when I was a youth pastor there, I used to have this program every Monday night. Every Monday night, I would have open gym. We had a huge family life center. And I would have open gym, and kids would come, and they would, they would bring their homework. And a lot of kids didn't have laptops back then, but they would bring their, their backpacks and their books, and they would study. We had a cafe area, and they would, they would sit in there and fellowship and study and help each other. Some would show up just to play basketball, and we had volleyball going on. We had a game room, so they'd play air hockey and video games and stuff like that. We even had a group of break dancers that started showing up, and they would break dance on the, on the gym floor and stuff. It was cool. It was a safe place for kids. But most Monday nights, you would find me out on the basketball court. That's where I was at, and that's where I connected with a lot of guys. And There was this one kid, and he was about to age out of our youth ministry. I, I knew that we were pushing it a little bit, and it's one of the reasons why once you graduate high school, we, we're, we're going to tell you you've got to leave Axis because it's, it's just a different world. There's liability involved with that, and I, I saw it firsthand in Tampa. And uh, this one young man, he was about to age out of our youth ministry, and he was, he was just unruly. I mean, this, this kid, would, he was so rebellious. And for, for weeks and months, I tried my best to get him to conform, but he, he just wouldn't. He wouldn't listen to me. And he'd get out on the court, and he would pick fights, and, and he'd push guys, I mean, intentionally, like, you know, fouling them, and... The, the, the language that he used, just the obscenities that he would shout across the court and stuff. And I would always have to warn him and sit him down, you know, for a game or two or something like that until he could cool off. This one particular night, he pushed somebody and he rattled off about four F-bombs. And, and I was just like, I'm not putting up with this anymore. And I walked over to him and I did something that you can't do anymore. I grabbed him by his arm. I don't suggest you do it today, but back then it was effective. I grabbed him by his arm and I said, that's it, bro. I've given you all the chances I can. You're out. And at that moment, he took his arm and he snatched it out of my hands. Like, he said, don't touch me. And it was at that moment that I realized that I was too old to be a youth pastor because if I didn't resign from being a youth pastor soon, I was going to end up in prison because I was ready to kill that kid. I'm telling you, that made me so angry that day. I knew I was done with it. It's the reason why you don't want me volunteering in our nursery or children's ministry. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. Because, I mean, some of your kids just need a good spanking. And there it is. I said it. I just said it. There it is. It's, I've been wanting to say it for a long time. It's freeing. You should try it. 
Your kids need a spanking is what it is. And I know that. Your neighbor knows that. Your mom knows that. And everybody's afraid to tell you. But I'm, I'm just getting old. So I love your kids from a distance now. I, I get it. Moses was old. Moses was old and his patience was running out. And usually we get the most frustrated with the things that we have invested in. Don't we? I mean, we get the most frustrated with the things that we've invested in. Think about it. If you've never invested in the stock market, when it crashes, it doesn't affect you at all. Like, you go on with life. You're fine. But if you've ever invested in the stock market and you lose money when it crashes, your world is turned upside down. Why? Because you invested in it. We get the most frustrated with the things that we've invested in. And and many times, that's people. When we've invested in people and somehow, some way, they let us down, it is probably the most frustrating experience for us. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've invested in people and, and, and you've done everything you can to try and make them a better person. But all they do is just throw crap on you all the time. That's, that's all it is. I mean, is that, is that harsh? Just, I'm, your kids need a spanking. That takes the attention off me, right? Man, they're just constantly just dumping on you. And, and, and you don't deserve it. And you've invested so much in them. And, and, and these people, they, they just don't seem to care. And it's just so frustrating. And it just happens to be this way in life. That the things that we invest in, you invest in that company. And they don't, they don't seem to care about your well-being. They don't care, they seem to care about your promotion. About your raise. You've invested in your children. And look at how they turned out. 24 still living at home. You've invested in your marriage and, and it's so frustrating. And you've invested in someone that you've been trying to help and they just don't listen. Moses had a major investment in the children of Israel. Think about his life. Around 40 years old, he has this revelation. Remember, now he was born a Hebrew, but he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. So he's watching his people by birth be mistreated and being used as slaves. And around 40 years old, he has this revelation of what he can do. And he walks out one day and he sees an Egyptian beating on a Hebrew. And and he takes up for the Hebrew and he ends up killing the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. I mean, he risked his life for the Hebrews. The next day, he walks out and sees two Hebrews that are arguing amongst amongst each other, and he walks over to try and help them. This is his new calling on life, to to help them, and he walks over to them, and they they said, what are you going to do? You're going to kill one of us and bury us in the sand too? And the word began to spread of what he had done, so now he runs to the wilderness, and he spends another 40 years working as a shepherd in the wilderness. And then one day he has this burning bush experience where God speaks to him and God calls him to go back to Egypt and to bring the children out of bondage, out of slavery. And he does it. He follows God. And he makes this investment in the people of Israel. He makes this investment into the Hebrew nation. And look at what they're doing. They are constantly bad-mouthing him. He's investing in these people, but they are so frustrating to him. Forgive the man. I mean, right? I mean, he, he, he's just 
he's just headed up to here with these frustrating morons. I mean, who, who invests their life into people like that for them to be so ungrateful? And it was this costly decision that Moses made to, to vent his frustration by striking the rock twice. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, I don't understand. After all that he did and after he followed God for all of those years and, and put up with these people, why would God not allow him to go into the promised land? What's the big deal? I don't get it. I know he disobeyed. But does the punishment fit the crime? But what you have to understand is what God was up to in that moment. There's not a moment that goes by that God's not up to something. I mean, even right now as you sit here in this room, God is orchestrating the plans to completely bless your life. And you don't even know it. And what God wanted to do in that moment with the children of Israel could have changed history. Throughout the Old Testament, there are foreshadows and glimpses of the coming Messiah on every page. Every page. You can find Jesus. It's the reason why we can't separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. You've got to have the Old Testament because the Old Testament tells us of the coming Messiah all throughout its pages. And God had a plan with the Hebrew nation and he wanted them, hear me, hear me, hear me, don't miss this. He wanted them to see his hand of salvation through symbolism that he was offering all along the way in the wilderness. You see, it, it is a true story. It is a history book. It happened to these people but every experience was a moment for them to see the salvation of the Lord in their lives. And this was going to be a big one. God, God had this whole thing planned. This was going to be a big one. What God wanted to show them that day at Meribah could have gave them a glimpse. Hear me. It could have gave them a glimpse of the Son of God nearly 1,400 years before his birth. This is what God wanted to to show them. When he said, I want you to speak to that rock, there was intention behind it. He, he wanted Moses to speak to the rock for a divine purpose because God was giving them the gospel message. Hear me out. At Marah, 40 years earlier, there was a log that was thrown into the bitterness and living water was produced. At Calvary, there was a tree, it was a cross, and it was the tool that would be used to rectify the bitterness of sin. At Rephidim, God commanded him to strike a rock, and a rock was struck, and life-giving water flowed. At Calvary, the rock of our salvation was struck, and living water flowed. Paul brings this, this history lesson to, to context for us in, in, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, listen to what Paul says as he digs back in history, and, and he, he, he kind of lays this out for us and clarifies something for us. In verse 1, he said, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. Here it is. 
For they drink from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. What? What? The rock that he was supposed to talk to was was Jesus? Paul just said that that rock, that water was supposed to flow from, that it was Christ himself. And we know this, that the rock that is Christ Jesus He was struck once and for all. That was it. He didn't need to die again. And the New Testament makes this very plain for us. 1 Peter 3 and 18 says, For Christ also suffered once. Say once. He suffered once for sins. Hebrews 9 and 28. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. Hebrews 10 and 10. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In Romans 6 verses 9 and 10. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Do you hear that? He didn't have to be struck again. Him being struck once. Him dying once was enough. That was the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus was not struck down twice. And the atonement for our sins and the gift of eternal salvation was secured when he died once and for all, church. And in God's command to Moses to speak to the rock, he was giving us the answer to all of life's frustrations. Forty years earlier, you strike the rock because the rock, which is Jesus, he will be stricken once. But this time, I want you to speak to the rock because I've got a message for Israel. I want them to see my son, the rock of our salvation. I want you to show them my son and show them how to deal with frustrations. Because Moses, you're very frustrated right now. And I get it. I know these people are hard-headed people. They grumble against you. They grumble against me. But, but I need them to see what speaking to the rock will produce in their lives. And I wonder how many years of rebellion with the Jews could have been avoided had Moses just allowed the gospel to be preached before their very eyes through that symbolism. What difference would it have made for their lives had they witnessed the miracle of speaking to the rock? And my question for you, church, is this. What's the miracle going to look like for your life and your home and your in your life, when you learn to speak to the rock. Because I'm afraid that sometimes we act a lot like Moses when we speak to people before we speak to the rock. In our text, in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 10, I want to read it to you again. It said, then he and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, summoned the people to come together at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Listen, you rebels. He had just been in the presence of God. And when you are in the presence of God, if you will submit yourself to his glory, when you will submit yourself to his holiness in that moment, when you submit yourself and you come before him with the right heart, it should change the way that you talk to people. 
Listen, if you come to church on Sunday and you're in the presence of God, but you walk out of here and you're still having a hard time with your mouth and you're talking to people and you're talking down to people and, and you're belittling people and you're hard to get along with and you're quarrelsome, listen, if that you, you need to stay in the presence of God longer. Listen, we won't lock the doors. We, and if we do, we'll lock you in here. Maybe you just need to stay a little bit longer because some of you just need to become nicer. Because when you've been in the presence of God, there should be a difference there. Because remember this man, when he walked up, when Moses walked up to the top of Mount Sinai and he was there in the presence of God, when he came down off the mountain, his countenance had changed. The, 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 the Bible says that his face was glowing from the glory of God on his life. We should look different, we should act different, we should talk different once we've been in the presence of God. And he comes out of the presence of God and, and, and he's so frustrated with these people that he looks at them and he says, listen, you rebels. And then he becomes sarcastic. Must we bring you water from this rock? He knows what, what God is about to do. But he is allowing his frustration with people to get ahead of his relationship with God. Men, stop speaking to your wife like that and start speaking to the rock. Stop telling your husband about all of your frustrations and tell it to Jesus. We've got to learn to speak to the rock. Stop criticizing your employees to their face and behind their back. Stop rebelling against your boss. Stop giving the waiter a hard time. Some of you really need to hear that. This is not anything new. But there's many restaurants that they hate when church gets out. Because they hate when you show up at the restaurant. And right now, the wait staff at restaurants, they are highly stressed. If you can't handle it, don't go. Go to Publix, buy you some food, go home and cook it yourself and wait on yourself if you can't be nicer in a restaurant. You can tell I'm stepping on some toes right now. Let me, let me throw one more at you. Stop driving with frustration at road rage. It's one thing to honk your horn at somebody that pulls out in front of you. Maybe, maybe they didn't see you. You don't know. And even if you do know, you got to learn to go back to the rock and talk to the rock about all of your frustrations in life. I need to tell you something that I have to admit to you I'm, I'm not proud of. I shared this story a little bit at last year's marriage conference, and I'm not going to go into the details of all of it, but the first seven years of our marriage, I told you, was rough. It just, it, it just wasn't pleasant. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. I mean, we were immediately dealing with cancer right after we got married, then from there, it went straight to raising not one, but two kids. Those of you that have a hard time with one kid, bless your heart. 
for those of us that raised two at a time. It was tough for, for us. Mandy didn't marry a preacher. She didn't marry a pastor. I went into ministry after we got married. Just a couple of months before our kids were born. I would love to tell you that we handled it great, but man, we didn't. And we were frustrated with each other on so many levels, just frustration. She's frustrated with me, I'm frustrated with her. We don't see eye to eye. I would come home just to, to sleep and eat, and that was it. Then I would go to the church early in the morning, come home late at night, because I didn't want to be around her. Obviously, she's frustrated, I'm frustrated. And this is the part of the story where I'd love to tell you that I walked into the empty sanctuary one day and I went down to the altar and I just prayed and prayed and prayed until I reached heaven and everything was fixed. But I didn't. But sitting at home raising kids, she did. After years of frustration, my wife took our marriage to the rock. Jesus, not Dwayne Johnson, just, so, just in case you're wondering. I know how that came out. And just, that's a whole other set of problems. <laughs> she did. She took our marriage to the rock. She took it to Jesus. And I won't give you all the details, but God gave her a plan. I started seeing a change because suddenly when I came home, she wasn't here in my ear just, you know, barking at me all the time. She wasn't giving me something to bark at her back about. Her demeanor had changed and now it was changing me. And I'm convinced that because my wife went to Jesus with her frustration. It saved our marriage because I was fairly certain we were not going to make it. If it wouldn't have been for our twins and me being in ministry, I would have left her. I'm not proud to say that, but I'm telling you, I would have left. But she found time alone with the rock. And she was speaking to the rock about her frustration. And it forever changed us. And today, we're 26 years married. And I'm telling you, it's all because my wife chose to talk to Jesus about it. And somebody here, you're on the verge of giving up. He says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. I promise you it's not over. The enemy's trying to convince you that it's over. But it's not. It's not over. 
just somebody's got to find some time to talk to the rock. Somebody's got to get to a place where they'll spend more time on their knees praying than on the phone talking to their best friend or talking to their mom about how sorry he is or how sorry she is. Somebody, you need to realize that the the greatest step that you can take towards your healing right now through your frustration, the greatest thing you can do is stop talking to anybody else and just go talk to Jesus. We used to sing this song when I was growing up. It said, just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Sounds ridiculous, right? But it's probably some of the deepest theology I could ever teach you. Just stop talking to everybody else and just go talk to Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org. 